0: All right. That's called There's Blues Everywhere, and Ain't It the Truth, uh, by Alvin Queen, who is on drums in this tune, Jesse Davis on alto sax, Terrell Stafford on trumpet and flugelhorn, Mike Ladon on organ, the Hammond B-3 to be specific, and Peter Bernstein on guitar. This is from Alvin Queen's 2006 album, I Ain't Looking At You. <laughs> I didn't even listen to the first tune on this album uh, until I just had to get over the name of the album, I Ain't Looking At You. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This is Lead Stories. I'm Retrie Lead, And today, I did a fast last-minute change because I think we have to ask some questions out loud. And they pertain to the information that we, we think we know or have about what's going on in our lives, especially as it relates to this war, whether we know what's really happening, whether the media really knows what is happening, or whether it is a situation where people are just kind of, keeping pace in their own way, but they're not especially on top of things, because of the nature of how the media organizations are being controlled. But we'll talk about that in a minute. The first thing I want to talk about, because I just can't let it rest without having some kind of say about it. And that is uh, the former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo appearing on Sunday yesterday at a small black church in Brooklyn. And I'm pointing this out because it is, it has become, the Ritual. Andrew Cuomo, as you know, was charged with sexual assaults on various women. And uh, the state attorney, Leticia James, was gunning for him and for some reason the case seems to be in nowhere land it's not moving forward it's not moving backward it's just not moving but what is interesting is the ritual i want to point out the ritual the ritual is black people will save you every time that's the that's the thinking the political thinking among white elected officials. Especially if you, like Andrew Cuomo, come from a line of politicians with some note. You know, you you get the benefit of that accrued reputation. And so he shows up at a church on Sunday for the spirit of God yes the spirit of God is in him if we didn't look carefully you would think <laughs> the regular pastor in the church had done a serious bleach job on himself but they find churches Pastors of churches who can be helpful to them. I'm being very facetious in the way I express that. Black pastors who can hold their hands in public and give them a sympathetic ear and encourage the same among the congregation. So, Andrew Cuomo went that way on Sunday. And the spirit of God seemed to have filled him because he swore before everyone, God isn't mm-hmm. finished with me yet. <laughs> it's a good thing I wasn't in the church that would have put me out because I'd be laughing so hard. God isn't finished with him, as if he knows. And then he's talking about the the pencil culture of the day. All of this, I want you to tell me from the little information that I just shared with you. What was that about? What was that about? And is it time that we stop it? It's really very offensive that many black preachers beholden to these political types allow them to come into their most uh, holy place, the church, and use the church to their benefit. They may be lying through their teeth. They clearly have no regard, no respect, no sense of shame. So they show up because they're after something. And you're gonna tell us today, what is that something? Why do we see this circuit Going on and on and on and on, where white preachers, and sometimes black ones, uh, I mean, white politicians, and sometimes black ones, meeting a public, uh, a collective public. Exoneration of whatever it is they've been charged of. And they come to the black church, and I have yet to see or hear of a black pastor saying, uh uh-uh, uh, not here. This is sacred territory. This is not for public relations purposes. We're not here to facilitate your agenda. There's only one agenda in this church. So don't bring your stuff in here. We don't want it. What is going on? What What is the, the deal with black preachers that they don't yet have enough steel in their spine to say, not here. Not here. You take that go to saint patrick's cathedral where you might be more comfortable and and do your shtick over there 888-874-4888 i have to ask you because i haven't seen any protests or even grumbling about this people just accepted it and lots of amens, and lots of clapping, and lots of, it would seem, of approval for Andrew Cuomo. What happened in this church yesterday? 888 4888 you tell me. And how does it stop... How do we stop this sacrilegious exercise? It happens all the time. I'm sick of it. And I'm sure there are people in these churches who are sick of it, but it hasn't stopped it from happening at all. This idea that he can begin the revival he can re- begin the uh, to he can begin to amend his tarnished political reputation by going to a black church it is all this is a formula now this is how it goes you do something really atrocious and Some black minister is going to be your target. You seek out a black minister who would bring you into his church or her church and have you say preposterous things like, God is not finished with me yet. Well, okay, that's God. But I am. (laughs) I am finished with you. Ephraim Edgewater, you're on the air. are you there not hearing you Noel from Brooklyn you're on the air
1: yes Retriece. Um I say that I'm, I'm just making up a new word here the Rupert Murdoch Syndrome and what I mean by that is when Rupert Murdoch first got Fox <laughs> he got all these black shows and when those black shows took off he was able to get more affiliates in and then when they took off, they turned their back on the black community. Um, I also feel that they would never, never, ever, uh, um, uh, Andrew Cuomo would not go to the Nation of Islam Mosque at all and do that. So that's, my, um, that's my, my, my stint on that. Would you like to ask me a question? or?
0: Yes, I would. What was the intention, you think, of this appearance?
1: Oh, like I said, like 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 Rupert with the, the black shows to get the black community in to to uh, have somebody, and then as soon as uh, they, they they're behind him, then he could take off and turn his back on us.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for getting us started today, Mitch from New York. What's this? What's this show about? What's this uh, appearance supposed to mean?
2: I think he has a vendetta against uh, uh, the Attorney General, Letitia James. He's saying that uh, he's trying to blame her for all of his misgivings. And she's due up for reelection soon, and he's trying to block her by any means possible. And unfortunately, some of these ministers can be used. Like that.
0: But well, why? Why not duke it out in court? Since you, you're fighting against uh, a lawyer, a state attorney general. Well, she's state she's,
2: attorney. She's trying to. Uh, he's trying to block her from being reelected and it's votes that get get elected. Votes. He's trying to tell these people, look, you don't want to look look what type of person she is. You don't want to vote for her. So where do you go to? Who do you, who's the most stable in our community? It seems the preachers, the ministers, you know. So he's trying to block Leticia James from getting reelected.
0: Oh, I see where you're going. Thank you for contributing today. Gwen from New York,
3: you're on the air. What, what is this? Hi, Hi. <laughs> What is it? Yeah, what is it? Well, here's what I think it is. Um, I think, you know, because I've run a couple of times, and one of the things that's fantastic is almost every person in the black community is a registered voter. You can walk up to almost anybody and get your signatures if when, you're, when you want to get on the ballot. So uh, I think that, I actually think it sounds like he's going to run for something again because he did not, none of these charges have stuck and most of the charges will probably be dropped. So I think it sounds like he wants to run for something again. As far as the char- as far as the churches are concerned, I mean, everyone in the city—I I don't know, i should say most people in the United States are just as much a part of the corrupt system as the players themselves. There's the, everybody thinks they're kind of like in the the mob, you know. And if we just if we just do things right, we're going to get our peace. and. I think that you certainly are wrong to look at the churches as a beacon of purity and, 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 and cleanness when it comes to money. Uh, you know, we have had at least 20 churches come down in, uh, in Manhattan. And, uh, this is, uh, this is, this is all real estate holdings by the churches and there's many in Harlem and these are gorgeous historic buildings, and once they come down, they can never come back again. So there are a lot of ministers that are involved. Uh, I think, but I believe Reverend Butts is one of them. And huge real estate holdings. As a matter of fact, I remember when we were when we were fighting the up zone of 125th, uh, which allowed them to tear down the original buildings to build high rises, which we knew would dislocate. Uh, the whole population it was Reverend Butts we had to fight against. he was one of the people we had to fight against. He has huge huge real estate holdings in in uh, uh, in Harlem so you know i wouldn't uh, necessarily count on the ministers to be um, ch- chaste and pure, but you know i I would agree with you you have to ask the people in the churches you know what are you doing in church you know I mean people have everybody has Everyone, I believe, has the right to go to church, and um, I don't think that God expects you. to Well, I, I'm saying, you, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people, including myself, for years I couldn't understand the hypocrisy in churches. And one day I heard a minister say this, and I actually thought this was pretty interesting. She said, God doesn't care if you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite, and, and even though you're a hypocrite, he's, he's still willing to let you sit in church and, and worship, even though you come to the table like that. Because he understands the imperfections of mankind. He's not condoning it, but he understands that they're there. So everybody is welcome. I could get that. I actually understood that. I thought, okay, well, everybody's at a different place. But, again, I don't think that we should expect any more. as, uh, As long as a church has a property underneath of its building, don't think... Don't think that that's a safe place to be. Don't think that that's not going to get sold right out from under there and that money goes right to the top of, of you know, the people who are running things. So they're no more pure than than many of the uh, the other real estate developers. As a matter of fact, often they are real estate developers, and they can kind of get the bust of both worlds. They get to be a not-for-profit, and they also get to, you know, bring in huge amounts of money. And, uh, you know, nobody really knows what happens to that money. But But there's something particularly insidious here and really insulting.
0: And it has been happening. This is a cycle the black community goes through year after year after year.
3: And
0: it seems to be now the accepted way of, of doing things. When you have wrecked your political future, by your own actions. Uh, nobody else, you can't go into, say, an Italian neighborhood. <laughs> they don't want you there. But you feel safe. You can, you can go test the, the, the climate in a black neighborhood and talk about how God isn't finished with you yet. And and how you have so much more work to do when and, and you you know you you suddenly the great servant of God and whatnot and it really really gets me going because it is such an insult to the black community not the, only the specific community where he's going to or the black community in general. Just say I'm a soldier in the army of God or something like that and oh everything is forgiven. People come and hug you and and you're
3: <laughs> you're the brother governor. Yeah, okay. Right. Well, you know, I think that there's one thing that's that is actually very nice is the level of forgiveness. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I do I I think that's, well, that's the forgiveness is there, um, but I'm talking about what is
0: what do we do about people who conspire in this obsequious way, knowing well, that the community I, is a forgiven community. But you want he wanted to get a, a sense of just where he might stand with the black community if he should run again, which of course clearly is in his mind to run again for governor. And this was like putting his uh, pinky toe into the water to to see how you know how warm it would be, whether it would embrace him or not. And he got signals that. Yeah, well, we, we, we're with you. We're glad that you're with us as a, yet another soldier
3: in the army of the Lord. Hmm. So don't you also think there is this thing about, you know, we can see this in, uh, overall in our entire society when we look at the COVID thing and see how there's about 30% of the people that won't go along with it, but many people will go along with anything. And you bring him in, and maybe, you know, you had the leadership of the minister saying, Listen, I'm giving my blessing this. I'm giving it the okay, Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. I expect you to get along and get behind this. Now, I also want to say that some of the best politicians, the slickest politicians I have ever met are ministers. They know what they're doing. They're very powerful. They understand the the gravity of their power, and they can whip people right into shape. I'm telling you something. I had Reverend Butts come to my church one time, and when he marched up that aisle— with these women behind him, it was like the army of Rome just walked in the doors. And I knew not to mess with this guy. This guy is very, very powerful. And so I think that there are many ministers. And you can see it. Turn on your TV on Sunday. Ministers with 7,000, 10,000 people in an audience. Who has, they have many times as much, as much sway as politicians have, if not more because they can get so deep and personal with you. But you know, every person then has to look into themselves and ask themselves, you know, do I have do I have what I needed to have to step up to this charlatan and say, no, I'm not going to drink the cup. I don't think a lot of people have it. It's very painful when you are the 30%, really awful being the 30%. People in your family speak badly to you. It's so much easier to do the go along the get along thing. And you know, there's always this hope I think people have at the end. Well, you know, I'm going to get behind this guy. It's always, is there a job for me? I mean, how many times have I heard when I'm out there, do you have a job for me? Um, yeah, so, so everybody, you know, that's, that's part of the culture. People, it's a kind of quid pro quo. If I give right.
0: you my support, what can right. I get from you? What can I expect from right. you in
3: return? Exactly. And that's sick thinking too. You want to know that is, that is crazy to think that a person who could, you know, have 150,000 people in a district could now individually go home to home and give people individual jobs. It's just not the way it works. I often hear this too. What are you going to do for me? As if you have no skin in the game, you put me in and now it's completely up to me to do everything for you. I have some bad news for everybody. It doesn't work like that, and that's why things are so screwed up, because when you choose not to get involved and stand on the sidelines and not do anything, because guess what? You're too busy. Your life is so fabulous, you don't have time for anything. You're too fabulous. So you're out in the world, and you're, and, and when it comes to election time, all you want to know is, what are you going to do for me? And, and you're going to usually vote for, for whatever, what everybody else is telling you to vote for. You're not going to think about it, uh, you know, that's okay. the society we live in. You, you, you have to get off your butt and participate. If you want to see those changes that you want to see, that's it. It's not a lot, of, a lot of communities don't get off their butts and they get everything gets they off they their butt. You know, you, I see very few people get off their butts and do anything. Very, very few people. Even people on the left. Oh, I mean, I mean, thank you. you know, thank you for moving no, along,
0: goodbye moving or? along. Yeah, <laughs> no, go ahead your uh, you, uh, contribution today. 888-874-4888. I'm trying to hone in on something here. Okay, so we are familiar with the, we are familiar with the circuit. Here's Andrew Cuomo, a disgraced governor who had to leave office. And it's clearly the case that he is thinking of running again for something, if not for governor, but for something close in terms of importance and profile. But he doesn't go to a white church. You would think he would go because that's his community. He doesn't go to a white church. He finds some black uh, minister who will appear with him, put his hand on his shoulder, and and pretty much anoint him. Uh, They will not discuss the charges that were pending against him. Or that still could be pending against him. We're not going to charge, discuss those charges. The main thing is, here is a former governor, and he has selected to come to our humble little church, and he is talking today about God and God's handiwork and the hope that God would be generous enough to do his handiwork on him so that he in turn could go on as he had intended to be a public servant. It's a pattern that repeats itself every election season and even in off-season as it is now. Here's Andrew Cuomo testing the waters. What kind of reception am I going to get? And it is always the black people. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why folks don't get it yet. It It always is a black church that will be selected because of the cooperation of the minister of the church to come and talk to us about your experience with the Lord. But, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about converting people to his political, uh, to have a sympathetic uh, heart when next he runs for public office. And usually for the minister involved, the host minister there's some money uh, to to thank of course I wouldn't suggest anything else to to thank the minister for his uh, generosity in inviting him to the church so here's a little something for you reverend and um, will we meet again soon I look forward to coming to this church this church will have a very special place in my heart. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it, it keeps on going. I didn't think that Andrew Cuomo, based on the charges that were against him, based on the testimony that was made against him by the, the women who allegedly were harmed by him, would have the nerve to show up at all, anywhere. That he would be really flying under the radar, where nobody could see him or hear him for, for quite a while. But the desire for public office is so great that he says, I have to test it. I have to find a way to see what my future might be. If indeed I were to run again, would I get a good reception in this community? And it's always the black community that will give you a big hug, and say good and kind things to you to encourage you to stay the course, you fellow servant of the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, it never stops. But I thought there would have been a little bit more class here, and there wasn't. So we'll take this little break and come back to yet another manifestation of racism in the current global issues that we are confronting in this pandemic right after this. Things happened over the weekend that were quite significant and don't underestimate them uh, because they look small, like small stories, but they're not. The other story I wanted to talk about was Uh, the story of the media, U.S. media and its continuation of its racist practices in covering the story of Ukraine and Russia. I already remarked about the fact that uh, you don't see people of color reporting you don't see commentators of reporting it's a white operation and the same white people who had been scrambling for positions facing the public on television are the same ones reporting now and it is confirmation that media organizations, and I'm specifically referring here to CNN, that it is not just confined to, to CNN. Where when something major happens, they push everybody out of the way because you don't have the intellect to handle it. You have to get somebody white because that's the first qualification. Somebody white represents knowledge and authority in a subject. And so far, I've been watching every single day, counting the heads, seeing who is talking about what, all the expertise, is invested in white people. There isn't a black person on the planet who knows anything. If you watch CNN's coverage of it, they have no clue. And certainly they cannot function at the same level of the people they select to be facing the public and sharing information. And so the question becomes, you know, there's there's a who's in who, as Aretha Franklin once asked, who's in who? You have a major story. There's enough news for everybody to have a shot at a piece of it. You mean you can't find a single black reporter except uh, the host of the program, the news program? But we see this happening time and again. Anything major, anything historic, anything requiring serious analysis there will be no black people no Latinos, no people of color none and the same institution that would boast of its uh, sympathetic leanings and its encouragement of a fairer society and all that all that goes out the window You're black, yeah, you could come and take this bundle of papers to that desk over there. That would be your contribution. But you will not see any evidence, certainly not any convincing evidence, that even a so-called bastion of liberalism like CNN would say, well, we're all in this. Let's make our coverage resemble our conviction that we're all in this together. Let's be fair. They don't have time for fairness here. They have to own all of the knowledge, all of the news, All of the analysis, they have to be in charge of that. And you will not see a black person or person of color, a Latina or a Latino, or an Asian person, holding forth on a subject related to the general topic of Russia and Ukraine, discussing it discussing the issues in a very professional way. You would not see that. It will not happen. So I I bring this to your attention so that the next time you hear about CNN's commitment to you know, fairness and (laughs) equal opportunity and all this nonsense, no. It is the law, it seems, in that world. They wipe the slate clean. No blacks, no Latinos, really. Or maybe you find one, but the assignment is... uh, The assignment is very, very... Trivial. They will not have a pronounced presence within the discussion at all. They will not. You'll have people who are called on because of their expertise and their experience and their reputations and the books that they've written. No Latino writes such books. No black person writes such books. No person of color writes such books. No person of color has that level of experience and expertise. So what they are transmitting, the message that they constantly are transmitting is that we, we are taking care of this. We are handling this. This is ours. And we don't want to chance it that we would give this heavy responsibility to people who are not trained for it. For people who don't have the expertise and the experience to handle it. But we can handle it. And therefore, we own it because it is, for all intents and purposes, the story of the century. You mean there is no black person, no Latino or Latina, no Asian person, nobody of color, who can hold forth and tell you exactly what it is, or get a a a, a, a job within the coverage of for example Who's telling the story of the black, the Africans who were thrown off the train because they're Africans and could not leave, they could not leave Ukraine. Who told that story? Who's telling the story now of Africans in Ukraine who are organizing their own alternative help system to help other Africans. Who's telling that story? The growing theory is we will tell it if we think it is important. And nobody has faced these racist media systems down and said, hey, what you did there was not only unethical, but it was just plain dead wrong. But we tune in every day and we give them the benefit of your your eyes and ears, we give them the legitimacy they have not yet legitimately earned. Nobody questions their motives for doing that. But you're talking about, uh, you know, this Nazi This Nazi culture, well, you recognize some kind of racial divide, but heaven forbid that a black journalist or a Latino journalist or an Asian journalist would tell that story or would be part of chronicling this story. So never mind all the self congratulatory messages that are sent out that CNN is is just the the answer to our prayers. It's a fair institution. It wants to promote peace and understanding among people. This is how you do it. No we should declare war on CNN too and lift all that camouflage that has been hiding them all these years it has been going on every story I'm so fed up of it any story that has enormous impact or historicity to it, or a story that has enormous implications. you never see them include journalists of color. Never. And if they are included, it's on the periphery. You go out there and give us some background. No, that journalists should tell the story. When I went, oh, how many years ago, to Ukraine, to Russia, I looked specifically, that was my mission. I wanted to find black journalists who left the United States. So tell me what their contemporary experience was with media. These are people who had spent decades and they went to Russia, they went to Ukraine, they went to many Eastern European nations instead. And guess what? Same thing, they became invisible all over again. That's why I went. Anderson, uh, what's his last name now? Anderson Cooper is being held up as the, the guy who tells stories, the guy who writes the history of the world, the guy who authenticates facts, the guy who decides what is important and what isn't. He's all over the place. Earns one hell of a good living. But here is a story where you have enough work for everybody to do and for some reason they can't find black reporters. They can't find Latino reporters. They can't find Asian reporters. On the story of the century. So, they can't come to me with the pretense that, well, it's journalism, everybody is pretty much covered. They they went as wide as they could to tell as many stories as possible. I don't want to hear that crap. At a time when you should be showing off your dedication to those principles, you retreat you retreat to the, the the practices that you know, which is keep it all white. Keep it all white. What do you think? eight 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 seven four four eight 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 am I just working myself into a ladder here, or is, it, is there some truth to what I'm saying? The media as a whole, and I singled out CNN, because it is held up as the beacon of light in the world of journalism, but then, they're practicing 1920s and 1940s racist journalism. We don't need it. Henry from Chicago. What are you thinking?
4: Hey, how's it going? Okay. It's going. All right. Uh, I, I wanted to also comment on the, on the first question you had about Cuomo, uh, am I allowed to do that? Sure. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So you know, Cuomo is you know a typical politician who basically kind of understands uh, the, the 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 place uh, of the black church uh, as an institution in the black community. It's kind of a you know a mouse-y. Just the way his father understood it. Understood. Yeah, and his father understood it just as well. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, is that you know it, it you know whether he comes with you know. Good intentions or, or, or intentions of his own, you know, self-interest. You know that that has been that has been a thing that's been going on for you know well over a century. You know, the the black church has been one of those institutions that at one point in our history has been you know an institution that you know kind of covers us between uh, the the people and the political system. But you know, nowadays the black church has become part of the political system. So, so Cuomo is you know strategy, you know strategically uh, places himself uh, in that church to kind of gauge where his support in the black community is. And you know, for me, um, if uh, if 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 we were to uh, have that uh, have the black church as an institution of liberation like before. Uh, Cuomo wouldn't have probably stepped one foot in that church, but you know, because of the fact that the black church has been you know compromised now, you know, people like Cuomo and others have you know have a have a get you know have a free invitation. Well, I wouldn't say free invitation because now you have to give something monetarily to that particular church, but. Um, but here's, here's a truth. Here's a truth that that has to be recognized. He
0: would never. Cuomo would never think of doing the same thing
4: with an Italian Catholic church. Oh, oh, oh! And and and, and I definitely know that because there was a, a, an example here in Chicago when Harold Washington was running uh, uh, for his first time as mayor of Chicago. He tried to go to. Uh, St. Patrick's uh, Church, which is on the north side of Chicago, which is predominantly white. And he, ha- he also had, at the time, Walter Mondale with him and was booed <laughs> at the church. So, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's the point that you're making, because that was a real-life example of, of a black politician trying to go to a white church, and he got booed. And he also had Walter Mondale with him. So yeah, oh I think they, they yes, they recognize that. <laughs> yes, that's a piece of history that a lot of us re- remember because of the fact that uh, when Harold Washington ran the first time, I mean, this this, this city was racially divided, you know. So yeah, I, I understand your point. You know, politicians like that would never go to a white church, even white politicians. When I go to yes. a white church, talking about you know, talking about you know, voting for me or or whatever. But, you know, I also wanted to talk on your second point of the racist coverage of the Ukraine situation, because I remember I had discussed uh, about how they disseminate the information to us in a, you know, uh, as far as black people in a childish uh, uh, way. And, you know, this uh, this uh, intent of trying to, you know, support, you know, uh, support Ukrainians and, 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 you know, don't get me wrong. I, I am not, you know, I am, I am always for, you know, uh, you know uh, not having citizens harmed in a, in, a, in a war. But at the same time, it's like, um, you know, nobody has any nuance in this conversation. The Russians are evil. Putin is evil. And this just popped up because one day Vladimir Putin just decided, well, I'm just going to invade Ukraine. And, you know, now he's the next Hitler which is the narrative you get from, you know, CNN and all these other mainstream outlets. But I also wanted to uh, talk about a comment that uh, one of your regular callers, Jeremiah, had said on Friday in regards to the neo-Nazi element that that's in the Ukraine. And I think he also mentioned that uh, um, one of the reasons Vladimir Putin is trying to uh, invade the Ukraine is because of the neo-Nazi element. And he kind of plays down on that. And he kind of plays down on the neo-Nazi element in the Ukraine. And he also says that, you know, there are also neo-Nazi elements in, you know, Russia and some of the other Eastern uh, European countries, which is true. But the thing is, is that the difference between Ukraine and Russia is that the neo-Nazi elements in the Ukraine are recognized as governmental entities. When you're talking about uh, but we talked about 6 years ago with the Crimea incident and you had John McCain and uh who was the uh uh, uh I think her name was Globuchar, who was posing with neo-Nazi uh, uh, uh huh yeah Kobuchar was posing with neo-Nazi uh, elements uh, in that Crimea incident, when they were trying to, you know, uh, when, when Crimea was trying to break away from the uh, uh, from 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 the Ukraine at the time and the the Azov battalion, uh, which is a, which, you know, uh, has no, you know, has no apologies of, of, of having neo-Nazi ideologies is part of the Ukraine military. And so when you when this is recognized within a government you know, that, that is cause for concern. And I know people minimize that saying, well, you know, they're just one battalion. But they have a presence within their government. Whether, they, whether they're whether 10 people or 100 people, there's still a presence. And they had a presence uh, with, the, with, the, with the 2014 uh, coup when they overthrew uh, uh, Yanukovych because he he just didn't want to, you know, play with the – he didn't want to play ball with the United States and, and the European Union. So, you know, th- this, is, this is not something that should be glossed over or looked over. And one more thing, the U.N., every December, has a resolution about uh, denouncing the glorification of Nazism. And it always comes down for the last couple of years, there's always two nations that votes against this resolution. Now, this resolution is not really a – it's more of a symbolic thing. But there's always two nations over the last couple of years that votes against the glorification of Nazism. Those two countries are the United States and the Ukraine.
0: Hmm. Thanks, Henry, for your contribution today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are almost out of time, but you, if you have a short comment, I'd be happy to hear it at 888 874 You see all these things people are not talking about but you see the cumulative effect things that are happening very quietly and on the fringes and you're not paying attention and then something happens and you see how well organized these systems are. And they're, they're locking you out. They're not telling your story. You're not the primary reason that they're doing news. Your right to know, is, please, the right to be told from a specific point of view, that is the dominant concern. Nothing else. And in Every single uh, situation that I have witnessed in recent decades, this has held true. Whether it's urban unrest or international craziness going on, the white media has decreed this is how they operate. They will tell you what the story is whether you know the story or not, or whether you know different aspects of the story or not, they have hegemony on framing the reality that people are experiencing. Not you, not me, but they do. Well, we've come to the end of our program today. Thank you so much for contributing so meaningfully Let's get together again tomorrow and do some more talking. Bye-bye.